Hi, my name's Andy Cope and welcome to the most uplifting podcast in the world. As a positive psychology researcher, I'm excited, delighted and honoured to be sitting in the podcast hot seat. The aim is to bring you guests who have something interesting or insightful or inspirational. They might have a story to tell, something clever, something simple, anything goes. We hope to inspire, educate, entertain and on a good day, maybe even make you chuckle. And why should you listen? Well, we figure life is relentless. It's full on. And most people are a million miles away from feeling as great as they could. So think of this podcast as a reminder or maybe a leg up to being a better version of you. Sometimes against the odds. So relax, open your ears, open your mind and allow me to bring you this week's amazing episode of the best podcast in the world. On with the show. Okay, podcast listener, I need to start with a plea. It's a plea from our publishers. We've, I mean, we like five-star reviews on Amazon for all of our books, but particularly we're looking for five-star reviews for a book called Diary of a Brilliant Kid. So if you can do us a favour, the thing about that book is it, it is a great book. I'm really, really proud to be part of uh, part of the writing team on it. It's aimed at kids between the ages of about six and 11, and they don't have Amazon accounts, so it's struggling with not enough Amazon reviews. So if your child has read Diary of a Brilliant Kid, if they haven't read it, buy it and get them to read it or read it to them at bedtime it's proper funny it's all the art of being brilliant stuff just disguised as uh, as kids would like it um so that will be a big favor pleasey wheezy lemon squeezy now on to the podcast my last one for a wee while because in case you don't know i'm off to india for three months i'm going backpacking i'm having a midlife crisis i've jacked my job in and it's me in a backpack in india for three months traveling around sitting cross-legged in the himalayas growing a beard talking to gurus that kind of stuff should come back a new man so meantime i'm not sure there might be a podcast there might not be a podcast it might be somebody different doing it we might not do it at all who knows so let me introduce to you the subject of today's podcast a good friend of mine a guy called will hussey best-selling author award-winning author keynote speaker teacher of 24 years experience now works for the art of being brill we're going to learn about growth mindsets we're going to do lots of the f word not that one don't worry kids in the car you're perfectly safe uh, we're going to talk about life and death and comfort zones and will's wife buying a new dinner set second-hand dinner set from the red cross shop more interesting than it sounds and the fact that you're already wearing your rose tinted spectacles but before all of that, are you sitting comfortably because there's going to be a reading of me reading from a new book called Zest. Enjoy. Okay, dear podcast listener, I'm always excited, always, because I know I know who's up the other end of the uh, Skype call today. Look, we all journey through life and we meet people along the way. You meet people, I meet people. We meet good people, we meet not so good people and occasionally meet people who make your jaw drop. And sometimes you meet people who make your jaw drop and I don't think they know how good they are. And we've got somebody on the end of Skype who I think falls into that category. So it's Will Hussey, who is, he works at Art of Brill. Um, so he delivers our stuff and he's also helped me and Gavin Oates write a book called Zest, which is out today. Now, rather than <laughs> it's a shameless plug for the book, it's, a shame, it's not meant to be. What I'm going to do is I'm going to spoil the book entirely by just reading the last two pages, every word of which was written by Will, who I'm about to talk to. I mean, imagine if you could write words like this. Here we go. Shy away from perceived wisdoms and the constraints of convention. Listen to the whispers of your individuality and moments when the world's illuminated by the twinkles in your eye. Do more of them, for only good can come of them. Personality shines brightly, individuality shines even brighter. Revisit that which resonates, the times and places where you fit, the jigsaw that embraces your jagged edges, 
Enjoy when you fit in. Embrace when you stand out. Do the things that you know you should and choose some of those that you know you shouldn't. Caution keeps you safe, but can also keep you the same. To experience something different, you must check the desire to keep you in check. Do the stuff you're not cut out to do. Then you'll really know whether you're cut out to do it. You will surprise yourself. Make something new, craft something better, and don't be defined by what's already in existence. The traditional path has navigated the past. The future may require something quite different. Someone quite different. Someone like you. If work grinds you down, do everything you can to work out an alternative that works for you. The act of instigating change is often all the change that is needed. Don't hesitate. You really don't have the time. Your veins course with life and your body pulses with potential. But you must first dismiss the impulse to dismiss. Behind every door of every street resides abundant possibility and opportunity. Yet so much remains unrequited and unquenched. Regret is perhaps the only human characteristic that grows stronger as the body grows weaker. Squeeze. Squeeze every moment of every day and immerse yourself in the sweet, sticky stuff that bursts forth. Savour the tang and the sharpness. Wake up to the possibilities, for they are absolutely not endless. You will breathe your last breath, and that will be that. In the meantime, delight in the world and its bewildering complexities. Don't try to understand it all. Take nothing for granted. Determine to change, and if not change, then just determine. Half measures will sell you short. Hold those close to you closer. Bring them with you on the adventure. Look to the future with childish glee and unadulterated joy. Do more than just look. Craft, create, ignite and excite until you cannot contain yourself any longer. Life may have given you lemons, but the zest really is up to you. Choose life. Juice life. Live. Gulp. Those words were written by Will Hussey. Will, how do you feel about writing those words, mate? Well, first of all, can I say, I've got to say thank you because, do you know, I've never actually heard those words before. I've written them, but it's quite interesting hearing someone else actually speak them. And um, yeah, thank you. A great advert for an audio book. <laughs> I'm quite emotional speaking them. And I, don't, and I don't want to spoil Zest. I want everybody to rush out and buy it. But uh, I mean, you've written obviously a lot of, of Zest, but there's a couple of sentences in there that I think are the strongest points of the whole book. There's There's a couple... Regret is perhaps the only human characteristic that grows stronger as the body grows weaker. Shall we, shall we start there? Regret. Where did... It's a funny, yeah, it's a funny emotion, regret. And I kind of think we all have our comfort zones that we kind of rest in at various degrees of comfort. And I, I think regret is probably the invisible force field that keeps us <laughs> keeps us within those comfort zones. Because actually, if you poke your head outside your comfort zone and maybe you realise that, I don't know, there's perhaps another path and then it pokes you a little bit to think, well, what if? Maybe there's another way. And sometimes that's quite a difficult a difficult emotion for us to, to wrestle with. But personally, I don't think regret should be, how can I put this, like a... A benign emotion. I think it can be a, a powerful tool, maybe a powerful trigger for going on and making us, I don't know about bigger, but better, different alternative things, maybe. Yeah, no, I think so. I think, I mean, David Taylor articulates it. He says um, something like people who live in comfort zones are actually very uncomfortable in terms of, I think it's almost like, are you old enough to remember Jim Bowen and Bullseye? 
Yeah, he had a, yes. he had a great. Been a bully. He'd been a bully. He had, it was the worst game show ever in the in the history of game shows. He had a catchphrase on the end when you lost. He would come on with twenty quid and a and a and a mug, and he'd say, "Look at what you could have won." And then the whole stage would rotate, and there was a speedboat or a caravan or a Ford Fiesta with some Miss World, like you know, and uh, back in the day when you could, yeah. And um, I think it's that I've tried to write about it. I can't, I can't be as literally, literally brilliant as you, but I try to describe it as, you know, death, when death comes to you. I, I think most people are scared of death, but we're not really scared of death. I think what happens is we're scared that we've not quite lived this, the go-getting full-colour version of ourselves. And regret, I think, is that we, we get to the end of the 4,000 weeks and it's like, yeah, it's been okay, but it's, you've not, you know what I mean? And I don't want to get. I, I don't want to be that person who gets to and and end of life and go. Yeah, it was all right. Absolutely, and I think maybe secretly, lots of us kind of pretend a little bit that that our lot is kind of all there is. And I'm not here knocking people that are contented and happy. And there's lots of people out there, but I think if you're one of those people, uh, and it's kind of me a little bit as well, that's been wallowing inside your your comfort zone getting bed sores and feeling mildly and slightly uncomfortable that actually maybe we try and convince ourselves and we pretend that actually this is all there is where sometimes there isn't and maybe there's a little bit more do you know i kind of speaking personally and this might just be me and my my kind of peculiar um psyche I kind of thought you grow, you develop up to 16, 18, you go to school, you go to college, you go to university, whatever it is, you get a job and then all that growth and development stops. That's kind of it for the next 60 years. And it's taken me a few years to realise that actually, no, it doesn't have to stop. It doesn't have to end there. You can continually kind of grow and evolve and develop and go off on all sorts of different tangents to make and create the sort of life that you want. And in, in fact, it's not just personally good for you. It's kind of what the world needs. I think, you know, years ago, my dad's generation, my dad, he uh, he went to, I think, part of the, the 5% of the population that went to university. And there he went. He, he got a job for life and he worked at Aston University and was very happy, but he worked there for over 50 years and actually, I don't think those jobs exist anymore. And maybe we're going on a slightly different topic, but maybe maybe the role of education has changed as well. It's it's not about getting a job anymore, but it's about discovering who you are, your kind of unique passions, interests, desires, dare I say, dreams, and, I don't know, pursuing a path to be the best person you can be and you'll flourish in whatever, whatever the life throws at you, whether it's here or on the moon, Mars, wherever it might be. Cool, and I like it, fella. I like it, yes. Um, uh, so speaking of the bed sores and the, doing the same thing for lots and lots of years, <laughs> tell me about your life up to two hours ago, mate. Yeah, well, up to two hours ago, I was a teacher, and um, now I'm an ex-teacher, which is a little bit of a wrench. I very much enjoyed my four years, I think it was, at the chalk face. Um, but yeah, I've, I've kind of, I've been gradually moving out of my comfort zone um, thanks to yourself and, and various other kind people over the past few years. And this feels like a, a natural progression. So 20, 24 years teaching, but I would also like to say, hopefully alongside that, um, has been 24 years of learning. And I think, 
I think pupils are some of the best teachers out there. And I'm constantly in awe at, uh, at what I see and just observe on an everyday basis. Yeah, I mean, I mean for the listeners, in case you don't know, Will, Will and I teamed up, yes, on Zest, but also on Diary of a Brilliant Kid which is aimed at uh, sort of between 7 and 11s, I think. So it's kind of positive psychology, but accessible for little kids. And uh, yeah, I I mean, it's been really well received, Diary of a Brilliant Kid. Um, But it's like great fun and and good stuff. It's it's zest, but with no swearing in it, basically. Um, (laughs) So yeah, yeah. So 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 what do kids teach you now? What can we learn from kids? Because it's always like, teacher, I'm the teacher, you're going to learn from me. But you're saying you're after 24 years of, of teaching maybe you've learned some stuff off them as well and i think that's really where the idea for zest came from so put all that together tell me about the ideas for zest well i've, I've spent 24 years standing in a classroom trying to trying to teach kids stuff and then i actually realized when i stand outside in the middle of a playground and all the the whirly burly hurly burly is going on around you and actually i look at what kids are doing they're effectively teaching me because the playground, not the classroom, certainly not my classroom, but the playground is the place where the energy levels are fantastic. The kids are in perpetual motion. They're being creative. They're being dynamic. They're being sociable. They're interacting in all the right ways. And actually, that's that's without the help of any teachers telling them what to do. And I kind of think if you've got that natural energy and passion and enthusiasm and creativity and you can just be what is effectively what looks to me like the best versions of themselves, then actually, hopefully we've got to be careful that we don't knock that out of them and that we we help them to channel it and perpetuate it because that's what the world needs. We need more of that. Wow, wow. Do you know, that's really powerful. And then and there's a bit in the book, isn't there, about the playground and then you describe it as everybody's zipping around having a great time and then somebody rings a big brass bell. And it's a sort of <laughs> metaphor for life, isn't it? So talk me, talk me through the, the metaphor. Yeah, talk me through the metaphor then. So because life is a re- like that for a lot of people, isn't it? You're having great fun, and then the bell rings, and the, the fun's bell rings. over. And, and then, and then again, I've got to be careful because this is only kind of my slightly warped perspective of it. But the bell rings, and the children stop, and conformity starts. And and I get it because we need a certain degree of kind of control to deliver all learning and whatever, all, all the sorts of bits and pieces that we need to know how to, you know, how to write, how to read, to add numbers and et cetera. But my thought is maybe, maybe that conformity, there's, yes, there's a time and a place for it, but maybe it shouldn't last for 60, 70 years. <laughs> and maybe some of us kind of, if we're not careful, we, we, we forget how it felt out in the playground to just to be, just to be that kind of, I don't know, wagon of creativity and imagination happily gamboling along our very own yellow brick road in whatever direction we want it to be. And we start pursuing the paths that are laid down in front of us. And actually those paths, I don't think anyone really knows where they lead anymore. We're in a world that's that's really changing incredibly rapidly, probably a, a pace that's faster than at any time before in human history. And we don't know where those paths are leading. And we need we need people, I think, that are prepared to trail their own blazes. And I'm sure that doesn't work or even blaze their own trails. Yeah, yeah. But what I'm trying yeah, no, to say no, is no, it, absolutely. it's fueled by the, the natural default energy, passion, enthusiasm 
that the majority, the vast majority of seven-year-olds seem to have, and you once had, and I once had, so where's it gone? <laughs> yeah, where's it gone? And then, well, this is someone talking as a teacher as well, which yeah, is a yeah, bit of a yeah, worry. Yeah, no, no, I, I get it, mate. And it's not just it's not just you, and it's not just me. Everybody listening to this podcast is nodding and going, oh, yeah. So, I mean, in the book we describe it's not personal development, it's personal remembering. It's we, Zest is about, well, the subtitle, Zest, How to Squeeze the Max Out of Life. It's about having the zip and the zing and the vivacity and the aliveness and the passion, whatever it, what do we, I describe it as the ready back glow. I used to describe it, the, I used to do it in keynote speak. If, you, if you're young, you won't get it. But the ready back glow, back in the 80s, there was an advert for ready back, central heating for kids, strap line. Little boy develops a, 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 an orangey glow on the outside and goes to walk to school with his mates on a cold, dark winter's day. And they've not had their ready back, and we know because they're not glowing. Uh, and they're all walking to school, oh, I hate school, don't like school, don't like the winter. And this lad in the advert, he's like bright orange and he's lighting up the whole street and, and he's the only one in the group who's who's walking with a spring in his step and he's like, don't you just love school? Shall we build a snowman? Shall we go sledging? And I think it's that that we lose. Isn't it? And that glow on the outside starts on the inside, doesn't it? It's about getting back to that. It's what your families need. It's what your work colleagues need. It's what your customers need. It's not, it's not 130,000 academic words. It's the glow. And it's an inside uh, job. That's right. And your your best already exists. And you've been at your best in the your past. Your best it's not like already exists. Oh, my gosh. It's, it's, not, it's not like something that you've got to magically create out of nothing that you don't know what size or shape or fit it is. It's there. You've been at your best before. And you've got to get back to your best. So it's like getting back to the future, I guess. All you have to do is remember how it felt and what made you feel that way and the, the thoughts and the practices that surrounded it and do more of that. And to do some of that, you've got to, I guess, peel away some of the layers of the accumulated um, practices that we've kind of inadvertently picked up on, like, you know, when you get old and you become a, a part of a profession, you've got to be serious and professional of course, we know jobs have got to be done and, and, and you know, the modern day world has its demands, et cetera, et cetera. But actually to to flourish and do well in whatever role we're in, whether it's whether you're a I don't know, whether you're a, an astronaut, a, a house husband, a bank manager or whatever, you'll be at your best if you if you're happy if you're positive if you're if you're enjoying life and i think in uh, aiming and aspiring to enjoying life shouldn't be kind of a a dirty word or something that's that's relegated by the pursuit of a a serious professional career i think it's a catalyst for for what what the world needs and what what we we need in our individual lives yeah yeah cool well that ties in with the with this research i was doing about about what i call the my two percenters so plotting people on a graph of well-being and we've you know for the last 10-15 years we've been running courses now and it's the people at the top end of that graph they're the ones in your workplace who've got the glow they're the ones who do stuff they make things happen they, they come to work with a smile on their face now they happen to be doing exactly the same job as the person next to them on the same salary in the same office with the same manager and one person can have a smile on their face and the other person's miserable so it's less about the environment that you're in and much more about what you bring to the environment and i tell i tell audiences now you've got to go to work you haven't got any choice you've got a mortgage to pay you have to go to work how you show up at work you've got a choice about that you really have got a choice about that. And I think that's the key to Zest. And it's re recapturing that, as you say. It's nothing. It's not new. It's, it's that personal remembering piece. 
So, so mate, tell me. I, I did um, I did a teenage book once, and I put in it, and I can't remember who did the quote. If life's a flavour, if life's a flavour, it's not ham and pineapple. And I like that. I don't. I've no idea what that quote actually means, but I sort of like it because ham and pineapple is just wrong, isn't it? And bland and rubbish. So anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in there. Um, if you're going to throw that in now, do you know if life's a flavour, it's got to be citrus. Hey, I see what you did there, mate. I see what you did there. Yeah, very good. So after 24 years as being a teacher and two hours of not being a teacher, if I was you, I'd be in the pub. I don't know why you're doing a podcast with me, but anyway. <laughs> Now, so the future will, the future now. So you are now our head of schools. So so you are head of our education stuff, trying to get the art being brill and our all our programmes going um, in schools. Before I talk, before I come on and unpick that and, and we get a chance to talk about that, you are our growth mindset expert. Now, growth mindset is well-established in schools. I think every single school now understands it at a, at a superficial level at least. I think businesses, it's so relevant for businesses, most businesses haven't really cottoned on. What's growth mindset, mate? Can we just go there for a couple of minutes? Well, there's all sorts of different interpretations that um, follow on from the legend that is Carol Dweck. But my my personal um, take on it is that in schools, we do a lot of learning stuff. We learn maths, we learn uh, English, we learn sciences, all sorts of things. We spend 99% of our time on the maths and the English and the sciences and the rest of the curricula, but we don't spend hardly any time at all on the learning bit, okay? So we learn maths, we spend loads of time on the maths, but not actually how we learn. And that seems a bit mind-blowing to me. And that the, the learning bit is often a little bit of a mystery to, to pupils and to teachers, if I'm honest. And it's kind of, it seems to be left to chance. And if you think back to, uh, to illustrate that, think back to a time when you went to school. You probably went into school and you had your, maybe you had your PE kit and your book bag and you went into the classroom and you'd sit down. You'd have a day of lessons, and it was like waiting for a bus. You'd like, with a bit of luck, you might have caught some learning by the time you left mm. at the end of the day. But you didn't really know how it happened mm. or how that information seeped in. And I think growth mindset, to me, is about empowering and equipping uh, teachers and learners to recognise the, the processes that are going on. And it's not so much about what you do, but the way that occurs and how you do it and the, the, the particular characteristics and traits that are absolutely necessary for that to happen. And in fact, it won't happen. It won't happen if you're not what I call the five R's and I won't go on about it too much. But if you're not, for instance, receptive to what you're being taught and if you're not prepared to take a risk, regardless of whatever the content is, it's not going to go in. And actually to be and develop those characteristics, you've got to be the best kind of version of you and the best learner you can be. And to make that happen, we need the best teachers to make and model and craft that behaviour because, uh, and I'm probably going to steal what you've said here, but, uh, you know, we also say that the same rules of parenting applies to teaching and that, that kids don't do what you say, but they do what you do, mm. which is why it's so important. Yeah. So teachers need to be demonstrating a growth mindset. But I think I've, I've begun, begun to come across it in businesses a little bit now. So we're doing some work with a business uh, in Lincolnshire out your way. 
that have got growth mindset as one of their things, one of their values, and one of the things they they reward stuff for. But that's rare. Um, but I think it's going to be the next big thing in business once they cotton on. And t- the F word then, there's plenty of the F word. And by the F- well, I was going to tell say, me about the F it, word. It, well, it's a little bit counterproductive growth mindsets because effectively, if you fail, you're feeling like you've had a good day, which is very counterproductive, particularly in business. And no one likes, no one likes the feeling of failure, which is why it feels so counterproductive. But actually none of us, unless it's by chance, get stuff right or do things to the best of our ability first time we work through a process of iteration whether it's mr mr dyson with his 5127 different manifestations of his vacuum cyclone technology whatever it is you've got to get it wrong in order to get it very right and actually as human beings we don't like the feeling of getting it wrong and in fact, automatically, we try and dismiss these feelings of getting it wrong by smoothing over the lumps and bumps that we're getting back. But actually, it's your capacity to deal with the lumps and the bumps and the failure and the feedback, which is actually key to you succeeding as a, as a learner, uh, succeeding in business and getting that important head and shoulders above the competition. Wowza. No, I like it. Actually, um, I'm just thinking as you were saying that. Uh, we are also working with a client, and I'm very, very impressed with them. I'm not personally doing the work with them. Um, one of the other trainers is. Uh, and they were t- JP was telling me that um, the chief exec, the new chief exec, has come in, and some one of the members of staff made a massive blooper, massive mistake. It cost about £30,000 worth of damage to the business. And the chief exec is delighted. And I'm like, that is very, very unusual in a business, that they are because that member of staff tried something. Now, it didn't work. And it costs 30 grand and you would think maybe their job's on the line, but absolutely not. They are being uh, lauded in the whole company for uh, taking a risk. So it, it's creeping I- in, mate. And there is also a big thing in business. It's been there for about 10 years. But if you're not making enough mistakes and you're not trying any, enough new stuff. Um, so- and that's so important. I, th- I think because um, we've all, <laughs> I have, we've all made mistakes and I know I've made mistakes, but if you know that you've got a boss, your line manager, your line manager, whoever it is that kind of accepts it, if it's made in good faith, then that is such a powerful tool. It kind of gives you the green light. And, and otherwise, if, if they don't, you always kind of feel yeah. like, I don't know, you're treading on eggshells or you're, you're one foot away from being outside the door. And if you're allowed to make mistakes... You're kind of in, in, and then you're there and you're giving not just 100%, but that old cliche of 110%, I guess. Yeah, yeah, no, good, good. I I, I saw something on Twitter, something like, uh, I've I've learned so much from my mistakes that I'm thinking of having some more type of thing. So (laughs) I like like Twitter, words of wisdom. Right, mate, before we go on to your current role as in charge of a school thing, tell me about the plates that your wife bought from the second-hand shop. Can we go there? Yeah, the plates, the plates are quite a profound moment, I think, um, just for a visit to the second hand uh, shop. But my wife, Helen, she likes uh, she likes a bargain, shall we say. And um, yes, she, she's got a collection of bargains. that I'm not entirely sure we can always afford. But this uh, we've got a uh, where I live in my village, we've got a British Red Cross charity shop that she likes to go and have a nose in. And this uh, this one particular day, she'd been for a nose in the charity shop and she came back and um, 
she said, well, I've seen, I've seen these plates. I've seen this dinner service, this dinner set in the charity shop. She said, it's beautiful. I said, okay, well, you don't sound very happy. She says, well, I've seen it. It's beautiful. I said, how much does it cost? Because I'm a male. That's naturally what you say. And she said, it costs 10 pounds. Shall I go and get it? I said, if it makes you happy, yeah, go and get it, of course. And off she did. She went to get this beautiful, she purchased this beautiful 24-piece dinner set with kind of silver gilt edge into it, and it's antique. I know it's antique. I know it's at least 50 years old because I did a little bit of research on Google to see if I could flog it on eBay. Um, <laughs> so I know it's old. <laughs> I know it's old. I know it's old. But that actually, after a little bit more conversation with Helen... I realised why she was feeling just just a little bit melancholy, shall we say. And it transpires that the lady behind the counter in the shop, she knew where these plates had come from. And they come from an old lady who sadly had quite recently passed away. And her son, in the process of clearing out her house, had taken these plates to the charity shop. And the woman knew that these plates had spent the best part of 50 years being behind the glass doors of a display cabinet, probably saved for a best occasion, for those special occasions that I'm guessing probably come around often enough. And judging by the state of these plates that were pristine, certainly they've not been used enough. And I just thought that's how sad that is. And it's a little bit of a metaphor. We all have, I think, those metaphorical plates and glass cabinets, those things, those special things, maybe dreams, desires, things we want to do and that we pursue, but we put them off. We put them off using them or at least at least pursuing them just in case, just in case we might chip them a little bit. And it's proved to be a little bit more imperfect than we envisaged them to be. And the saddest part about this story, and I'm hoping, hoping not to depress the listeners, but Helen said, I don't see many of these plates in the shop. And the woman said, oh, well, we do. We actually get quite a few of beautiful, beautiful sets of crockery brought in. But people don't like to buy secondhand plates anymore. So what we have to do is take them out to the back of the shop and smash them up and throw them away. And I just think, don't, don't relegate your life to a, £10 charity shop epitaph. Make the full use of you and whatever it is you want to do whilst you can, when you can. Glass cabinets have their purpose and their uses and time and places, but um, but there you go. That was a, a little uh, bit of a profound yeah, no, moment Well, it's me. deep stuff, isn't it? But we're saving it. I've got a big slide, that I, a big PowerPoint that I use at conferences where, and it just says life is the ultimate special occasion. So life, life, yeah? So every day is amazing. So yeah, it's a big. I mean, plates is the metaphor there, but it's poof, go live it a little bit. I got the, I got this thing, mate. I think that in when you know when I'm 90 and when you're 90 and we look back on our life, I'll look back at 2019, 2020, 21. I'll look back at these days. These are the good old days. These are them. Yeah. These are them. Yeah. And I think it's about the the plate thing is about enjoying it now and now. Yeah, wear your special you're, you're pants. Already you wearing, eat from your special pants. Plates. Absolutely. You are currently wearing your rose-tinted spectacles. They don't get any better. <laughs> they already come rose-tinted. And you kind of we need to realize that now. 
Gosh, you are already wearing your rose-tinted spectacles. They are, yeah, yeah. Okay, wowza. Okay, mate. So let's go wear them with right bang up to date. So as of two and a half hours ago, you were a teacher. No, you're not a teacher. You're working for us full time in charge of brilliant schools, doing keynote talks on growth mindset and the art of being brill. Tell me about the brilliant schools model going forward because we're about to relaunch, aren't we? We're excited about relaunching, and uh, I guess what we want to do with our brilliant schools is harness this this magnificent positivity that we've already talked about naturally exists within schools. You know, kids have got it. They don't need to find it. They need to keep it. That's what they need to do. What we try and do is just make them appreciate um, the value of what they've got, the value of being them. There's a great quote, my favourite quote from Paddington Bear, which is, uh, everyone is different, which means that anyone can fit in. And it's about embracing your individuality and your own passions, harnessing that and actually working out how you can use your uniqueness, your the essence of you to go forth and prosper for the next 90, 100 years to the benefit of you and the people around you and cause and cause a, a positive ripple effect that goes beyond you, beyond your classroom, beyond the, the school gates even into the wider community. So what I often tell schools when I talk to them is actually we'll go into and we'll work with your staff, we'll work with your pupils, and we'll have a, a fantastic and amazing experience. But actually the real benefit starts when we go, because what we want to do is leave a legacy which lasts and it lasts and it lasts. And we've got various mechanisms to do that. We have our schools that participate, become fully fledged members of our outstandingly brilliant schools exclusive club. Um, but also we're introducing our, um, our gold and our silver and our bronze kind of brilliant validation where schools can really rise to the challenge and make that that legacy um stick for for years after yeah yeah top man and i think i think the unique bit of ours is that we deliver for the kids and then we the kids come up with a plan about how they're going to deliver positive psychology well-being happiness across their school and that is amazing the results have been incredible um and we're, tr we're also going to badge it with a well-being certificate in primaries and a well-being diploma in schools so you know if you're a business out there and you've got some corporate social responsibility money going handy then get your brand all over our stuff in schools it will be the best money you've ever spent right plug over mate plug over we'll finish with that um that's been amazing i mean i i've learned a bit about will i i, I kind of know who you are i think i think mate it sums up i think in terms of zest which obviously we want everybody to buy to read in, in the summer holidays is there's a difference between being alive and living and it's, you know, back to the keynotes I do and you do, you can have a pulse. Everybody's got a pulse. But I, I think <laughs> there's a lot of people a million miles away from feeling as great as they could. And as I, I'm coming at it from, well, I've got a pulse. I may as well make the bloody thing work a bit. You know what I mean? Like throw myself <laughs> into it and do some stuff that's way out of my comfort zone that, that gets me excited and it's worth getting out of bed for in the morning. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Um, My pleasure. W w welcome to the wonderful world of Art Being Brill now full time. I'm excited. Very excited, ridiculously excited. Well, what makes you happy? <laughs> well, I've reminded you because I've actually got an answer. It's just popped into my head. Do you know what? It's my birthday tomorrow. Okay, it's my birthday. I will be 47 tomorrow. And I actually, what makes me happy is a thought that I've just realized a little bit of an epiphany that actually I'm not going to be 47 years old. I'm actually going to be 47 years young. 
And do you know what? That that's the thought that makes me happy going forward. So there you go. <laughs> Dude, so you retired today and it's your birthday tomorrow. You're gonna have a cracking weekend. Cheers. Right, that's it then. I will pause this, Will. Great to speak to you. See you next time. Thanks, Andy. See you later. And that, dear listener, is that. I hope you found it as interesting and as useful and as stimulating as I did. Congratulations, by the way, on making such a great choice of listening material. Please subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I wish you well. You've been listening to the Art of Brilliance podcast. Listen to and subscribe to all our podcasts at www.artofbrilliance.co.uk slash podcasts.